0: pray just right there that that literally is our desperation plea, that we know that without Jesus, that we have no hope, but with Jesus, all hope is possible, that all things are possible through Christ who gives us strength. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would speak to us. We pray that your word would be first and foremost, that Jesus would be the center of everything that we do, that we know that without you, we are in trouble, but with you we can do great things. So Lord, we pray today that you speak to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would have a seat, grab your Bibles, turn to 1st Peter. We're going to be in 1st Peter chapter 1. We're continuing our uh, our sermon series called uh, vision. And I want to ask you this question as you kind of think through this, and I want you to understand, as a matter of fact, as you flip to 1 Peter, I'm going to read a verse, and I want you to think about this verse as we unpack it. Proverbs chapter 16, starting in verse 9, says this, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Now, how many of you, if, you were, if you've been around for a while, uh, or are a little older, would say, Maybe, just maybe, that I didn't really realize I had, didn't have anything figured out. <laughs> You'd be like, my life has turned out completely different than what I dreamed or what I imagined at times. How many of you would say that? How many of you would say that I've run into difficulties and struggles that I never thought I would ever face? <laughs> okay, good. All right. I want you to understand this, that you're not an oddball. All right, you're not different. Everybody has certain plans and desires and dreams. As a matter of fact, I, I tell people fairly regularly now that my, my, my dream or my desire when I was in ninth grade, all the way up until literally uh, getting out of the Navy and going to SBU, my dream was to go and be, I wanted to be, originally be an F-14 pilot. For those of you who remember Top Gun, when Top Gun came out, I was, I think, 11 years old. And I was like, yep, that's me. I want to fly F-14s. I'm going to be top gun. I'm going to be like, uh, you know, this is a Maverick requesting a supersonic flyby, negative ghost rider, the pattern is full. That was the kind of thought process that, that I had in store. As a matter of fact, I went in the Navy thinking I would still be a pilot. I got out of the Navy to go to the Navy ROTC and still be a pilot. At that point, I knew the F-14s were getting phased out, so I thought I'll be an F-18 pilot, and then the Lord changed my mind. And he called me to ministry. And so things change. And with that, with those things changing, because of that dream or vision of being a pilot, being changed by God, I actually met my wife. Because I have no doubt that if I'd have been in the Navy, there would have been no way I'd have been in Glorieta, New Mexico, to meet up with her. All right? Oh my gosh, do not go there. You you, Silence. (laughs) know your role. <laughs> now, for those of you who are new, if that's just a joke, my wife and I say, so don't, don't, don't think I'm like some, some mean dude. But, but hey, I want you to think about this. We have an incredible imagination, do we not? As a matter of fact, if, if, you, if, if you would know this, I want you to understand that our eyes can take in 4 million bytes of information every second. And the moment we take it in, our imagination forms a 3D picture that is put into mind in or put into motion in our mind. And so our imagination is also very powerful. And I want you to think about this. If I said to you, big hairy spider... Yeah, all of you already got that in mind, don't you? If I said big hairy spider, your mind just went, oh, gross. As a matter of fact, some of you got the EBGBs, the willies, whatever you want to call it. Some of you are like, oh, don't even talk about that. If I said a big black dog, some of you might think of a like a Newfoundland, some of you might think of a black lab. I, you know, your mind puts into imagination exactly what you're thinking of. And I want you to think about this as we jump into vision and developing a vision for your life. Every one of us has a vision or a picture of ourselves. We have a vision or a picture of our family and our future. And sometimes those visions just don't play out or things change. And, and sometimes those are good things. Those are great things. Matter of fact, Helen Keller says this, and I want you to think about this as we prepare to read our scripture. Helen Keller says this, worse than being blind would be be to be able to see but not have any vision. And I want you to think about that because I wanna ask you the simple question, what is it in your life that you would envision or what is your vision for life? If you have your Bibles, turn to first Peter chapter one, starting in verse thirteen. We're gonna kind of unpack a few things as I just unplugged something and my wife can figure that out later. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Anyways, first Peter chapter one starting in verse thirteen, and listen to what it says. As a matter of fact, if you would just stand with me and no, I'll we'll read. Therefore, prepare your minds for what? action. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy." Verse 17, "'Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect.'" He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. You may be seated. Here's what I want you to understand, and this is one of the things I begin, as you begin to develop a vision for your life. And I want you to think about this, because a lot of times we have great visions, great ideas. Some people, it's like, you know, part of me was, oh, yeah, I want to play Major League Baseball. And my wife would always tell me things like this. You need like 15 lives to do all the stuff that you dreamed about doing. Anybody else would say, that's me? Like, I'm a dreamer. I love to dream. Sometimes it's a slow process to get those dreams out. Sometimes I realize that those dreams are just gonna stay dreams because I have no way to pull those things off or or to accomplish some of those things. But I want you to understand this, that God has a vision for your life. And I believe that this vision for your life is twofold. Number one is this, that God has a vision for what he wants you to become. Okay, okay. Number one, God has a vision for what he wants you to become. A matter of fact, I would say this consistently to anybody and everybody God is more concerned about what you become than what you do. A matter of fact, a lot of times in the Christian life, it goes something like this Well, you need to find out what God's will is for you. Not gonna say that that's not true, but I believe wholeheartedly that we oftentimes overblow God's will for us and miss out on God just creating me to be something. He has called me to do something, to be something. And what we have to understand that God has more concern about what you become than what you do. Now, what you do is a result of what you become. So as a result, number two, God's vision for your life is this, that God has a vision for what he wants you to accomplish. Matter of fact, you can go and look up Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 10. It says, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So as a result of what I've become in Christ Jesus, I then accomplish good works as a result of what he's doing in my life. So I want you to understand that when we talk about vision and developing a vision for life, we begin to understand that God's vision for my life is twofold. He is more concerned about what I become than what I do, first and foremost. And secondly, what I accomplish is a result of what I've become, okay? So here's the big statement. If you remember anything today, I want you to remember this, that a God-centered, biblically built vision allows me to follow God's plan regardless of the outcome. Do you hear that? That a God-centered, biblically built vision allows me to follow God's plan regardless of the outcome. Now, a lot of us will sit back and go, well, what are you you talking about regardless of the outcome? Listen, if God is more concerned about what I become than what I do, then I have to understand that what I become as a result of what has happened to me is huge. I use it this way. All throughout, matter of fact, this week, if you've been following the news, any, there's been some stuff posted online. I don't know if you know what the Chinese government just recently has started doing to all the churches in China. Anybody notice that again? They just demolished one this last Sunday. People were in their worshiping, they kind of kicked them out, and then they demolished the church building, just obliterated it. And everybody would go, well, at that point, guess what we do? In America, here's usually what would happen. Well, I guess we gotta go find another church building. Wait, wait, there are no more church buildings. So what do I do? Regardless of the outcome, who I am still matters. Who I've become still matters. And so what we have to understand is a God-centered, biblically built vision allows me to follow God's plan, regardless of the outcome. In other words, I can move forward regardless of what I face. You're diagnosed with cancer. Doesn't matter, God's still got a plan. I'm diagnosed and I got a problem with my family. Doesn't matter, still got a plan. Hey, we had an accident or we're in financial trouble. Doesn't matter, God still has a plan. God is more interested in who I become than what I accomplish. Now, I accomplish great things as a result of what God's doing in my heart. So here's the big statement again. A God-centered, biblically built vision allows me to follow God's plan regardless of the outcome. So here's the question I wanna ask. How do I develop a vision for my life? How many of you would say, I want to live with vision? I want to live forward thinking. I want to do great things. I want to accomplish good things. I want to do great things for God. I want to do great things for my family. How many of you would say, that's me? I would hope that that would be something you desire. And So when I ask this question, how do I develop a vision for life? I believe we answer it very simply. Because remember, if you remember very simply, in a heart or in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So number one is this, how do I develop a vision for life? Number one, prepare my mind for action. Listen to again what he says. Therefore, prepare your minds for what? Action, right? Action is not passive doesn't mean I sit down and just wait for things to happen. I prepare my mind for action. In other words, everything that I do is about doing something. It's about accomplishing something. See, vision is the foresight with insight based on the hindsight. In other words, vision is looking forward, knowing what I've gone through, all right, prepared for or, or knowing what I've gone through in the past and preparing for the future. See, we don't do a good job of preparing our minds for actions. I believe that wholeheartedly, especially Christians in American culture. We don't do a good job preparing our minds for action. And the reason is, is because we let fear overwhelm everything else. We, we so look at like everything has to be perfect, And matter of fact, when we try and strive for perfection, a lot of times we'll be frozen in our tracks and not do anything. When the simple fact is, matter of fact, I said this statement to our church before you guys hired me. I said, I would rather fail trying than do nothing and fail. At least we tried something, right? You fail at least attempting to do great things, but I'd rather fail trying to do great things than do nothing and still fail. We have to understand that we have to, de- <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I wholeheartedly understand that. Prepare our minds for actions. See, obedience, listen to what he's really saying. When he says, prepare your minds for action, it's this idea of preparing my mind to be obedient to what God has called me to do. Obedience is huge. A matter of fact, Jesus says that if you love me, you'll obey me. So obedience is a conscious act of the will. We must understand that Christians in conflict need tough-minded holiness and to be ready for action. Action means an obedience to the truth that's lived out. As a matter of fact, James says it this way. Don't be mere hearers of the word, but be what? Doers. That's the action aspect. And so many in the church got froze in their tracks with fear because, listen, doing God's word, being obedient to God's word, living out God's word is a lot harder than talking about it, isn't it? I mean, when was the last time that you did something that you know was a blatant sin in front of unbelievers and you went, man, you're gonna have to forgive me of that because I just screwed up. Most of the time we'll just hide it or we'll just ignore it. Oh, maybe hopefully they didn't see it. But what he's getting across is this. If I want to develop a vision for my life, I have to prepare my mind for action. And preparing my mind for action means I have to be obedient to what God has called me to. Matter of fact, I wanted to lay this out. Anybody like Puzzles? Our, our, our family got it. matter of fact, the, the month that my, wa- my mom was here, all of a sudden we were doing puzzles like crazy. It was like we had this puzzle on our table and every day somebody's putting in pieces. But I want you to think about this when we talk about God's purpose or plan for our life. Puzzles are great, but what if you didn't have the picture to look at? What if I gave you those boxes and said, put the puzzle together? You'd be like, what's it look like? I don't know. Just put the puzzle together. It's a lot harder, isn't it? It's going to be a lot longer process. You're going to be like, well, I don't, what? I, I mean, I guess I could start with the outer edge of the puzzle. It would be good, but then I'm going to have to figure out what it looks like. And that's going to be a lot longer process. And I want you to understand this this is most of our lives right here. This is our life, it's puzzle pieces. I'm not gonna lose your puzzle. I told somebody earlier, they were like, are you gonna throw the puzzle pieces everywhere? I'm like, no, my wife would kill me. (laughs) It's a lot easier when you got a picture, isn't it? In a man's life, in his heart, a man plans his course. Listen, a man has an idea what he is, but listen, it's God who directs his steps. And I believe wholeheartedly that God has a puzzle picture. We can do it upside down, but God has a picture that he wants to reveal to you so that you can accomplish the plans that he has for your life. And it's a lot easier to take the pieces of the puzzle and put it together when I understand and know what God is calling me to do. When I understand that God is calling me to obedience, it's easier to look at the picture and go, oh, that's what you're asking me to do versus I'll just wing it. I'll just hope I find my way. I'll just hope I can make an impact or a difference. See, when I see the bigger picture up front, then I can begin to build my life upon that. And that's what I want you to understand when we talk about obedience. When he says, prepare my mind for action, it's where we want things to end up. We wanna be obedient to God. See, when you have acquired God's vision for your life, it makes putting the puzzle together all the more easier. So when I understand God's vision for my life, then I can begin to move forward. Now, listen, here's one of those things that I oftentimes talk about. We make a big deal about God's will. And listen, I believe wholeheartedly that God has something very specific, but I think sometimes we make it too much. What I mean by that is this. I don't care if you're a mechanic, a musician, a plumber, a doctor, the Bible's very clear that whatever your hands and feet find to do, do it all for the glory of God. If that means living in Missouri or Wyoming or Florida or Iran or Singapore or wherever that is, then whatever God's called you to do, then you do it out of obedience. So I prepare my mind for action. If I want to live a life with vision, I have to prepare my mind for action. I have to be prepared to do what God has called me to do. I have to be prepared to live out obediently what God has called me to live out. Number one was that I want to be prepared. How do I live with vision? Prepare my mind for action. Number two is this. Listen to what he says. All right. How do I develop a, a life or a vision for life? Number two, I have to be self-controlled. Listen. Listen to what he says. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be what you could cheat. Oh, there we go. Yeah, thank you. Self-controlled. Self-control is something that's always easy to talk about, but it's a lot harder to accomplish. A matter of fact, I want you to think about this. Being self-controlled means free from any mental and spiritual drunkenness is literally what it's carrying across. We must be free from outside circumstances, outside influences, in a battle, the enemy. A matter of fact, I kind of like to think of it this way. In a battle... All right, the enemy is going to use every sort of outside influence and inside influence to try and change or to try and get you off course. And if I'm self-controlled, I learn to say, hey, I'm not going to give in to those tactics of the enemy. I want to move forward with vision because the enemy is going to use everything against you they can. Even at times use things like, hey, I'm going to use your family against you so that you don't have self-control, so that you don't move forward with vision. Hey, I'm going to use your friends against you. In our lives, Satan will use every outside influence to distract you, to attack you, to render you useless, to leave you vulnerable for attack. As a matter of fact, I said this, and and I I still stand by this. Um, Recently had some things go on. I've had a Uh, a number of pastor friends who have failed recently. And and I just always think about it this way when I talk about self-control. I have to be a person who lives within self-control as well. And one of those things is to make sure that I put the the guardrails and the boundaries in place to protect myself and to protect the ministry and to protect my marriage. And I remember a pastor at one point saying this, and I believe this wholeheartedly. Matter of fact, it's stuck with me since I heard it. But I also want you to think when we talk about self-control, greater men than me have fallen. And I want you to understand this with self-control, greater people than you have fallen. So even in the midst of self-control, you have to make sure that you are on guard, you are prepared, that you are ready for the attacks of the enemy because at any point in time, those attacks can lead to a fall and you have to be self controlled. I have to have my actions in control. I have to have my circumstances in control. I have to make sure that the places I go are in control, that I don't put myself in compromising situations. I have to be self-controlled, number Two, so how do I develop a vision for life? I prepare my mind for action, number one. Number two, I learn self-control. Number three is this, set your hope on the grace of Jesus. Listen, here's the beauty about walking with a God-centered, biblically built vision that my hope and my vision is built upon the grace of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. That's a promise, That Jesus will reveal himself again and that we set our hope only on the grace that is gonna be revealed even more so when Jesus comes back. So how do I live with vision? I set my hope on the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus promised he would come back. Jesus promised he would rise again. Jesus promised he would or promised He would die. He promised he would rise again and he promises he's gonna come back. And so if he's coming back, then I set my hope on the grace that Jesus offers. Now here's the beauty about this grace. That grace of Jesus is good enough to forgive you of any and all unrighteousness. So no matter where you've been at in life, you can understand that you are forgiven given. You are set free. All I got to do is ask for forgiveness. And in that, the grace of God is poured out on me. And if the grace of God is poured out on me, how much more so am I going to experience the grace of God when Jesus comes back? See, here's the beauty of what goes on. If I develop a vision for life and I live on the hope and I set my hope on the grace of Jesus, then we understand that there are gonna be times where we fail, where we struggle, where we rely more and more upon the grace of Jesus Christ. But we also know that we have a savior that will pick us up out of the trenches, out of the miry clay and set my feet back on the rock. And so I want you to understand this, that no matter where you're at, no matter what you've been through, no matter the struggles you face, that your hope is built upon the grace of Jesus. Again, focus on this. Set your hope fully, not partially. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. That is a promise that is gonna be given to you. Do you know why the majority of Christians never attempt anything great in their lives? Fear. Fear in the future. Fear of failure. Fear of not doing it, not accomplishing it. See, I believe this wholeheartedly this: that they don't have a God-given vision. Listen to it again. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ Is revealed. A God given vision. Developing a vision for my life means that I understand God's goodness. I understand God's grace. I can't necessarily wrap my mind all the way around it, but I don't have to be afraid of failure. I can move forward, that I can accomplish great things. If you never attempt it, you'll never know if you're going to succeed. Again, I would rather fail trying than never try at all. Set my hope on the grace of Jesus. See, God is bigger than any problem you face. God's grace for you is the thing that should keep you fueled and on fire. God gave us grace in our salvation and all the more will we experience it when he returns. So if I wanna develop a life or a vision for my life, then I have to understand that I have to be prepared for action. I need to walk in obedience. I have to understand that I need to be self-controlled. I have to understand or know that I need to set my hope on the grace of Jesus. And number four, listen to this, and I think this is one we're gonna kind of pack into or, or bury ourselves into here. Do not conform to the evil desires of the world. Listen to again what he says now. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, this goes back up to preparing your minds. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. See, Peter is saying, don't go backwards, but move forwards. Don't go backwards, move forward. It's always easier to return to what you know, isn't it? Like, a matter of fact, I'll even say this. There's a reason why churches, when they begin to go through change, always want to go back. You want to know why? It's easier. That's the way we've always done it. Remember those famous words? How can we do that? Well, it's the way we always done it. And families get into that, 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 that statement as well. Well, we've always done it that way. How can we do Thanksgiving that way? Well, because we've always done it. What happens if you change something a little bit? Oh my gosh, you're messing with the Holy Grail. You don't do that. Listen, it's always easier to go back to what you know. That's why when somebody becomes a new believer, it's easier for them to revert back to the friendships and the relationships and doing the things they've always done than it is to draw out, isn't it? It's always easier to go back to what you know. And when I go back to what I knew, all I'm doing is setting myself up for failure. Because again, remember what he says. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Here's the crazy thing. We must not return to the evil ways of the past when we didn't know the truth. Listen to what he says. And this, this is what I love about this section of the thing uh, uh, of the scripture. It says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in what? Ignorance. Everybody can't stand the ignorant person, right? But listen to what Peter's saying. When you go back to the past, what are you running back to? Ignorance. When you go back to the past and you revert back to those evil ways, you're running back to the things that led you into problems. Rather than walking into the future, into peace and an abundant life, you turn and you walk into ignorance. You know, the one thing we always talk about with history is this. History is meant to be learned from, not repeated, right? How come we go back and repeat it? Ignorance. It was easier back there. It was a lot easier to deal with those situations or circumstances. But listen to me, God wants to take you into a victorious path, a path that's full of abundance, a path that's full of victory, a path that is full of his grace and his mercy, but it's easier to conform to the evil desires that we used to when that we used to have when we walked in ignorance. And what you have to understand in this big picture thing is this, that God is wanting to move us forward. Going back is ignorance, and God wants us to move forward into the future. So I want you to understand this, and this is the big thing you have to begin to understand, that courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is moving ahead in spite of the fear. Courage is moving forward, knowing that there are going to be fearful times and circumstances and situations. But God may be calling you to do something greater in your life. And as a result, I have to move forward in spite of fear. See, it doesn't take courage at all to do something I'm not afraid of. It doesn't take courage for me to get in a car, start the car, and drive. It just doesn't. It doesn't take courage for me to get up. It does take courage for me to do something I may be afraid of. Put me on the edge of a cliff of, 100 feet high in water down below and say, hey, jump off. (laughs) No, you're dumb. (laughs) That's courage if I jump or stupidity, I don't know. All right. It doesn't take courage to do something you're not afraid of. It takes courage to do something you are afraid of. And sometimes when Jesus, matter of fact, the reality is this, that when Jesus calls you out of your former life, It's gonna take courage to walk into the life he's called you to live. See, when I think of vision, and this is a quote I wanna give you from Chuck Swindoll. When I think of vision, I have in mind the ability to see above and beyond the majority. And what I want you to understand when he says, do not conform to the evil desires, is he's asking you and I to look above and beyond the majority of what everybody else sees. If you want to live a life of vision, God is calling you to live a life or develop a life with a vision. Then God is calling you to look above and beyond the majority, to look and see what God wants to accomplish in you and through you. In that order, God wants you to become first and do second. He wants to accomplish in you and then through you. See, you can't soar. Matter of fact, I've said this before. You maybe have heard it. You can't soar with eagles as long as you're pecking around on the ground with the chickens. Can you? Proverbs 13, verse 20. If you walk with wise men, you're going to become wise. But if you walk with a fool, you're going to be a fool. Number five is this. If I wanna live a life or how do I develop a life or vision, number five is this. And I think this is, again, one of the main focuses. We have to live holy lives. Listen to what he says, because in verse 15, he lays it out. And then all the way through the rest of the chapter, or really the rest of that section we read, it's all about holiness. He says in verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish and defect. See, living a holy life is of utmost Importance. A matter of fact, if you remember back to one of the first verses I gave you, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Or if you were to read it in the NIV version, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Here's what I want you to understand when we talk about that where there is no vision, no God given, obedient vision, the people will perish. And likewise, if we don't strive for holiness, then we cast off restraint and we run unabandoned to other things. If I want to develop a life or a vision for my life, I have to set up holiness as a standard. I have to realize that that is God's desire for me. See, God judges each man's work impartially. That's what he says in verse 17. So we're going to answer to him for what we have done. You're not your own. As much as you think you are, once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So use the life you live for holiness with God. Now, holiness means to be set apart, to be different, to be complete, to be complete in what he does. Because listen, here's the big idea. This is what we have to understand. That when I said becoming is more important than doing, you have to understand Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, there's going to be people who claim to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and heal many people and all those things? And Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. When you make doing great things for God above becoming what God wanted you to become, you miss out on the big picture. Because you doing great things is actually out of the overflow of the heart of what God is changing in you. That's why I said what God wants to do in you, then through you. That's why we said that God is more interested about what you become than what you accomplish. Once you become what he wants you to do, then you're going to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. And part of those go hand in hand, in sync together. So it's not like, oh, I gotta wait until I become this mature person. No, as I'm maturing, then I'm also doing. And so if I wanna live with vision for my life, I have to understand that I have to strive for holiness. See, what we set our eyes on determines our future. And my question is, are your eyes on Jesus or are your eyes on something else? The reason why many of you aren't experiencing God's best or many of us don't experience God's best is because you're not seeing what God wants you to see. We don't see what God wants us to see. So you have to stop seeing yourself for what you are now, but for what God wants you to become. You have to stop seeing yourself and saying, well, I'm just a failure. And you have to start saying, God wants to do a great work in me so that I can accomplish great things for him. You have to stop looking at yourself in a negative light, and you have to start looking more at a positive light. You have, you have many plans for your life, but God has a vision for your life that's even greater than what you can even ask or imagine. As a matter of fact, the great missionary, and you might have heard this quote before, William William Carey is quoted as saying that all believers need to listen attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God and expect great things. From God, If I'm walking in obedience, if I'm understanding what he's calling me to do, I'm self-controlled, I'm alert, I'm resting on the hope of the grace he has to offer me, I'm preparing my mind for action, then I can attempt these great things for God and expect great things from God. And I want you to understand this, that that's not just because he's a missionary, that God wants to pour out his blessing on each and every person's life Here today, where you're at, the question is, do you want to live a life, or do you want to have a life with vision, or do you want to just continue on your own path, on your own way? Because God's going to let you wander as long as you want to wander. You want to walk your way? He's going to let you walk your way. He's going to knock. He's going to be calling. He's going to say, hey, why don't you come this way? I want you to attempt things my way. But as long as you want to do your own thing, you're going to continue to do your own thing but when you develop a vision for your life, when you understand that if I keep my eyes on the prize, if I work towards the goal, I keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, then he wants to call you to great things. And I believe wholeheartedly within our church. I believe wholeheartedly within churches around the United States that we are primed and ready to see God do great things. The problem is we're not willing to attempt great things for him. The God of the universe, the God who created you, the God who loves you, the God who sent his son to die on the cross for you has a great passion and desire to see other people come to Christ. He has the great passion and desire to see other people whose broken homes and broken families can be repaired and renewed and revived. The problem is we don't wanna attempt great things oftentimes. And we go right back to where we said earlier because it's easier to go back to where we were I'm telling you this right now the easy thing right now when I start talking about vision you can look and go man that's the that's the vision that's the direction I know God wants to do some great things but here's the deal when you take that step forward you're going to run into some resistance there's going to be something in your mind the self control aspect is going to say don't do it because you're living a small vision and you're going to be able to easily revert back to say I'm just going to go right over here it's a lot more comfortable it's a lot easier I don't have to deal with the struggle. I don't have to make big decisions. I don't have to walk by faith. I know this path. It's not something I can do on my own. I, you know, I just, it's, it's a lot easier back here. The God of the universe gave us a mission to accomplish, desires to use you and I where we're at, And he's saying, listen, attempt great things. Attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. And here would be my question as we wrap up is this. Are you willing to pray and ask God to do great things in your life and expect to see him come through? Because I'm gonna go right back to what I gave you a couple weeks ago. We have a desire or a prayer. We're praying to see that we would average 100 in attendance on Sundays. We have a prayer to see that we would, that, or a prayer to, that we're praying to see 10 people baptized. We're praying that we would double the amount of life groups we currently have in the church. All of those things are a result of what God can do, all right? Attempting great things for God and expecting great things from God. Now, what I want you to know is this, that sometimes we live with a very small vision. And the reason is, is because we focus on our own self so much. When the desire should be to live a life of vision that makes the greatest impact in the people around us and God can do great things through us. So my question is this, are you willing to say, God, if you have some significant things planned for my life, count me in. Are you willing to lay your yes on the table? Are you willing to say this is in? Are you willing to say I've got all of my cards in? I am, I am wagering or I'm waging everything at this point. I am willing to follow you regardless of the cost because that's what Jesus is calling us to. If you want to develop a vision for life, you have to understand that living for Jesus is going to cost you everything. Are you willing to lay it down? I want to leave you with this last thing, and I think we've said this multiple times, but God loves to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And you and I are ordinary people. That in a supernatural way, God pours out his power through his spirit for us to accomplish great things. And when we attempt great things for God, we can expect great things from God. And so my simple question to you today is this. Do you desire to develop a vision for your life where you can attempt great things for God and expect great things from God? If that's the case, I just want to pray for you where you're at. We're going to have the band come up and we're going to close with the song. We're going to do offering here in just a second but I want to just ask you where you're at, with every head bowed and every eye closed, to pray with me. Father, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. But we also know that with you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so God, I pray that we would not live in fear. I pray that we would not be uh, driven to, to return to the things that we know are so simple and so easy in the past but God, that we would move forward into the future knowing that you have a great vision and a great plan for our life. God, I pray that we would not over-spiritualize specifics, but God, that we would say whatever our hands and feet find to do, we would do it all for the glory of God. And so God, I pray today that maybe there are some who've never put their, their faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe they would say, hey, I wanna, I'm putting my faith and trust. I wanna make it public. I want them to know that I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again. I I believe he defeated sin and death for me. And I want to walk in life and life more abundantly. But Lord, I also pray today that just in your simple way, that you would convict our hearts, that we'd be people who live with vision, that we would move forward with direction and with passion, knowing that you want to accomplish great things in and through ordinary people in our ordinary lives because we serve an extraordinary God. So God, we pray that you would have your way today. We pray right now, just as we do this offering, that God, you would multiply this offering, that we would be a church that is not only about taking care of what you have so freely given us in this building, but God, we'd be a church that gives wholeheartedly to your mission so that we can see the gospel taken, not only to those here in independence, but around the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.